0: How I got here. The inside stories of startups and innovation and in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Welcome to How I Got Here, Mozilla and Focus Wireless weekly podcast about innovation in travel and transportation. I'm David Litwack, and I'm joined by Kevin May. And today, we're honored to welcome Sebastian Gomez. Sebastian is a co-founder, president, and COO of Reservamos. Reservamos is a multimodal travel booking platform based in Mexico that started as a bus aggregator in 20, uh, 2013 uh, right out of MIT Sloan. Uh, welcome, Sebastian. David, Kevin, thank you for uh, having me. Pleasure to be here. So we'd like to start every one of these interviews off with the same question, which is for you to tell us in a few minutes, uh, you know, the summary of how you got here.
1: Great. Um, so so to, be, to put it in context, um, first of all, I'm, I, I'm from Colombia. Um, I've been living abroad uh, um, from Colombia, like over 16 years. Um, moved to the U.S. initially to do my undergrad and, and uh, worked a bit in New York, then To do my MBA in in, at MIT in Boston, and while I was at at MIT, um, I met Andres, my co-founder, and uh, really it was a bit of of luck that we ended up in the in the travel space. Um, I think because of of uh, of all the ecosystem of innovation in the university, we started participating in in what was the MIT 100K competition, and um, by that time. We, we had been living in the U.S. for a period of time, and we said, look, let's look at opportunities for building a business in Latin America. And, uh, um, and so we initially started looking into the travel space because if, if you would look at all of the commerce dollars that, that uh, were sold in Latin America at that point in time, that was around 2011, 2012, uh, 50% of it was related to travel. Business and mainly it was uh, airlines and hotels, but to our surprise, um, ground transportation was not digital at all. And so we we started investigating the market, the industry, um, and came across a RedBus, which is uh, one of the bus leading players uh, worldwide, based in India, and. Uh, And it really served as inspiration for us. And so um, fast forward, we we launched the company um, right after finishing our MBA in in 2013. And uh, today, like we have both a B2C business, which is Reservamos.mx and a B2B business where we provide enterprise software to um, mainly bus uh, companies in in the region, in Mexico and, and expanding to Latin America.
0: Very cool. So Sebastian and I have known each other for several years and I feel like every time we meet up often at a Focusrite conference or so, uh, you have interesting stories about uh, your supply problems uh, in a country where there's huge uh, monopolies uh, with, uh, you know, the various bus companies. So, you know, do you think you could chat a little bit more about how, you know, tell us more about the ups and downs from how you ended up from B2C to B2B and the, uh, you know, the issues that you came uh, came in, in contact with with these bus companies
1: yeah so, so to give you some context um it, like we, we we launched initially as as a b2c play where um what we really identified is that less than five percent of of all all the bus bookings in in, in latin america were online and the, pretty much the the user experience uh, we saw it it had to be very similar to, to booking an airline ticket. And by that time, when we were like thinking of the business model, um, I, like, I spent 10 years in the US and out of those six years, um, I was a student. So I, I really traveled by bus very frequently. And I remember that I would go into, into any of the portals of, of Megabus or Bolt Bus and uh, I would purchase my ticket and I would receive a, an SMS. Um, and with that SMS, I, would, I, would, I was able to board. And so, um, when, I, when I moved to, uh, to Mexico uh, in 2012 to, to do an internship, I was here with Andres um, for leisure one week, and we took a bus to go from Mexico City to, to San Miguel de Allende, which is one of the most touristy destinations here. And it's mainly accessible through road. Um, the experience was really offline. Uh, Getting, getting information of schedules was almost impossible. Booking was almost impossible. And, uh, and really, that was one of the sources of, of inspiration of building this business. Because immediately, we realized that bus passengers were three times the number of passengers um, in Latin America. Just to put it in perspective, I think many people in Latin America don't know. But we, we estimate there's almost like, and in general, like 720 million bus passengers per year compared to 265 million pa- airline passengers per year in Latin America. And so when, when we started with that B2C plate, um, we started having conversations with, with the, the most important bus carriers in Mexico, which is the countries that we launched. Um, at that time, most of those companies did not have an online strategy. Um, and when I say, not an only strategy. They didn't even have um, web services and able like to be able to connect with us and be able to distribute uh, through through our, our portal. So so it was a pretty interesting and, and difficult conversations, but um, we were able to sign um, a few of, of of the players. And and when I mean a few, like we were able to get probably like good coverage in in top routes such as Mexico City to Guadalajara. Um, to be able to start testing the 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 business model, and um, in in that year in 2014, um, I remember we were growing really fast, like 90 percent month over month. And uh, the reality of, of this why it was it was happening is we had a really good user interface, we had good technology, and uh, people were ready to buy tickets, bus tickets online but um, bus companies had not offered that service before Um, and so this was a huge surprise for a lot of the carriers that we were working with Um, and many of their commercial teams were extremely happy Um, but then in 2015 we started to get some mixed signals from from the bus carriers that we were working with because we were getting signals that a lot of the owners of these companies were not really happy with the growth that we were having. And, and the reality was that we were hitting directly their p because we were charging a commission for distribution. And uh, since these companies relied like heavily on, on their own distribution channel for sales, um, they ultimately decided by the end of 2015 to cut um, all of our commercial contracts with us and with our competitors. And so this was a, a really... Aha movement because we lost almost eighty percent of our supply, and uh, and uh, and it became a, a really um, it, it was kind of a uh, one of those experiences where you learn a bunch, um, but uh, we had to we had to renegotiate uh, heavily with with all these carriers in in, in a very short amount of time.
2: Uh, Sebastian it's Kevin here welcome to how I got here thanks ever so much um, it's it's interesting that you encountered those th- those problems within a within a fairly short space of time when you were thinking about creating the business you know 2013-2014 mm-hmm. did you anticipate at all that you would face those kind of problems with uh, the supply end and if you did, it, had you already kind of mitigated for that? Or was it all very much a surprise, how much kind of kickback you got?
1: You know, like, I think um, at, at that point in time, um, we, we did not understand that it, the industry like thoroughly enough, um, and, uh, and why it's because we, we did, um, in our market research, we identified over 120 bus companies in, in Mexico um, but amongst those, like there were controlled by um uh, many of them were controlled by the same group of investors and um, and so we had commercial contracts with with each of them um but but we didn't anticipate that this was going to happen um all at once and uh, and uh, as as we started to learn about the industry, we did see that there was more concentration in terms of supply than, than, than what we had expected uh, initially. And so once we identified that, um, like we, we could foresee that in the future, there would be some commission contraction. Um, and that's really ultimately what happened. Um, many of these companies have uh, local monopolies in a way, uh, where they're like one of Probably like the only one or or one of two uh, of the carriers serving a specific route, and um, they know that um, if the traveler wants to travel on their route many times um, the traveler will end up in their site or somewhere uh, w- within their distribution channels and so their likelihood like to pay high commissions for distribution as you see in the hotel side was not going to happen um and that's when we started changing the whole business um, in 2016. It's when we really started to identify and understand that, that problem.
2: So it's interesting. I mean, we're, we're, we're moving forward quite quickly. I'm, I'm, it, I'm kind of curious, back at the formation stage, there's yourself and there's Adrienne and Andres. I mean, how did you decide as three founders that you would, you know, um, dividing up, the responsibilities within the business were those things that came very naturally given that you didn't know what you were perhaps going to be getting into whether it's from an industry perspective or just the way the economics of it were going to evolve how did you how did you decide on the roles
1: no so in it was it was very easy because all of us uh, came from different backgrounds um, Andres came from from uh, the finance industry. I was in the consulting industry prior to starting the company and Adrian, um in, in the technology side of the business. And so um, immediate, like, immediately uh, when we met, um, when I started working with, with Andres, I think we both shared the passion for uh, creating a business in Latin America. Um, and... Uh, and immediately, when we started to research and and come up with the business plan of what Professor Vamos is today, um, it became really clear on on where and each of us would would uh, serve a better role. Um, and so with andres we we split up a lot of the business functions. Uh, we we both have uh, relationships with our investor base, uh, both Andres and I are on the board. And then Adrián, um, we met uh, while we were in MIT. Um, Adrián was already living in, 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 in Mexico, in, in Monterrey. Um, he had graduated from, from El Tec de Monterrey, which is one of the top technical schools in, in, La, in, in LATAM. Um, and, uh, and so he was gonna play the, the role of creating the whole product and, and and all the technology stack, um, and so I think that was uh, a key moment because uh, ultimately that really made it much easier to execute um, the strategy that we would lay out because everybody would know like where they would add value and where they they didn't, and so that was uh, that made the whole process of of uh, of uh Of those initial years like easier for 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 all the parts um and 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 we what what we did is um i think given that neither of us like had a had a experience in the travel space uh what we did is we we created a a really good advisory team uh to be able to get kind of a ramp up of 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 all the knowledge required because we really didn't have any clue of of acronyms or whatever it was and um and basically, what we knew is how to operate and how to focus on a on clear objective. And so that led us to, by the end of 2015, close uh, an institutional round of investment uh, led by Thayer Ventures, uh, where Jeff Jackson uh, was the partner who joined our board. And, and since we've had a relationship with, with a really strong relationship with them.
0: Very cool. Uh, I wanted to quickly rewind uh, talking about these family relationships and you you said something really interesting about how the uh, commercial teams were very happy with you, but the owners were not. And I've dealt with family-owned businesses before, where there's often a a disjoint where the owner is only marginally involved and kind of sometimes just doesn't like the idea of something (laughs) more than anything else, and isn't you know and makes uneducated decisions or kind of prejudiced decisions. I'm curious, you know, two-part question: uh, How did you find dealing with these these big families? I know there's a lot of them in Mexico that own you know the bus companies, uh, and how did you bring them back to the table? Yeah, so so. It, it was really
1: interesting, and, and probably you've probably heard this in the past. I think doing business in Latin America is, is challenging, um, and, and doing business with the industry was challenging, not only because of of, uh, of of them being family-owned businesses, but also because of the context of of what of how to do business in Latin America. And before that, we had come from from the U.S., and even though we grew up in Latin America. Um, I think in, in Latin America the component of, of uh, trust is, is extremely is, is key uh, to do business, and I think in that sense it's more similar to Asia, where business is done based on relationships uh, rather than on a very like strict commercial transaction. Um, and so, and so we had we had a uh, some. Kind of rough time in the, at the beginning because we were able to explain the value proposition of of, of our B2C play um, to the commercial teams, and uh, and many of them were were young people that were already like getting online, and they would understand this, uh, our, our kind of our vision of that that all the bus ticketing will move would move online, but. I think from, from, uh, like by that time, we didn't develop the relationships enough with the owners of these companies. And so they would just see it as more as, as a, from a financial perspective. It's impacting my business. And, uh, and, and, uh, they, they kind of expected that with the growth, if the growth that we had at that time in 2014 and 2015 would continue, like we would, ultimately become um, a very important channel for their distribution of the tickets which they've never had that experience before and um, when, when you compare the bus industry in Latin America as I said like over ninety five percent of those tickets are sold by their direct channels um, and when and, and they're kind of afraid of, of uh, finishing up in in, in a, in a in a scenario where like let's say 50 percent of those tickets are not sold through their direct through their direct channels as it occurs in the airline industry in the us and so they they took that uh, decision of of cutting all those commercial contracts and it was not only with with the reservamos it happened with with all of our competitors at the time but many of our competitors decided to leave mexico and uh and I really, and it was a, an aha moment for us because when, when our competitors decided to leave Mexico, we doubled down in Mexico. Uh, we had moved uh, from MIT to start a company here because, from, from our insights, uh, Mexico is the fourth or fifth largest bus market worldwide in terms of passengers. And we knew that the trend that the industry was going to move online was going to happen. Um, and so, during that early period of 2016 when we were changing the whole business model we 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 pulled kind of the strings of of and and, and really with the support of, of our investor base we were able to reach many of the decision makers in these companies and, and had open and frank conversations and so what we learned is that all of these bus companies were looking to increase kind of their share of market and 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 be able to reach new customers and that we could serve with our b2c play but then they were also interested in having a very competitive direct booking channel um, such as what in the us would be like a greyhound.com and so immediately when 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 we identified that we said okay well let's start um, creating enterprise software that we can rent out to these bus companies, so that we can accelerate the whole digitization. And that's really what we did. Um, and and today, I think the company is uh, strong, very strong because I think nobody would argue against the fact that the the like if if today less than ten percent of all the bookings are online. I think it's just a matter of time that they would go to. 40, 50% as as you already have in, in other emerging markets such as uh, India and then in Europe, it's probably even more more advanced. So so I think right now with both our B2C and B2B offering, we're in a position where where we are very aligned with the interests of, of the industry, which is to grow the sales, reduce costs, and 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 really like be able to innovate and provide better services um, through through online technology.
0: Very cool. Um just as you know, parallels, we've we've heard a couple uh, of our other uh podcast guests, uh, specifically Silver Rail and uh, and uh Philippe Shurik from Amadeus and MXGB did JBT talk about when they were building systems for distribution uh in uh rail and in air, uh getting into kind of the, the airline IT or the rail IT side. So I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, this sounds like you guys went into the bus IT side and that really helped um you know address the concerns of these bus owners is that correct
1: correct we did we did go into the bus it side and so um and and so not as as i was mentioning like not m- many people know about the relevance of of, of the bus industry and and uh, it, and and really that has happened in latin america because of the structure of the market Um so in, in latin america air traffic penetration is is really low and Mexico It's one of the lowest worldwide so um, air traffic penetration for example flights in terms of flights per capita in Mexico it's only like 0.7 uh, While in the US it's 2.4 uh, but when you compare that with the with the bus industry it's uh, completely the opposite. Um, M- M- Mexico and, and LATAM has relied on bus transportation um, to get almost to any destination whether it's a city a town a port and and there's also no rails as well so so i think we are we have like the decision that we have made as a company is to double down on the industry and not only have that b2c play where we get we we provide uh an excellent like distribution channel like to our bus partners but we also provide all the bus it side so that these Companies can also migrate and, and do this transition into the online space faster and in a more organized way um and uh, and I think for the future like we we, we we will continue to focus in 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 the in the digitization of this post trapper
0: I want to quickly uh, pinpoint something you said that you said it the, it was point seven flights per capita in mexico 2.4 flights per capita in the u.s that's actually still relatively low numbers and i remember hearing some stat uh about trains and, and aaron from silver rail may have actually been the one to mention this but um i think they said trainline.com has uh the average uh visits per year something like 22 or 23 versus a normal ota is you know three or four if you're lucky and the point that they're making is that more uh, online travel ag- agencies should be focusing on these buses and train trips because they're booked shorter and much more often. Uh, and you—you you didn't say the, the you know what it, what the per capita buses in Mexico were, but I'd be curious if you could share that if you have that stat and if that's you know a core part of your strategy.
1: Yeah, so um, we we estimate that in in Mexico the per capita um, on the bus side is almost like one point seven five uh, um, bus trips per. Per person per year, um, and that's on kind of the mid to luxury segment. If you if you include like all the suburban side, like it's way even higher. Um, but but I think something that is, uh, um, it's it's very easy for somebody that does not uh, know the airline in like the the bus industry that well to compare it with the airline industry. And and um, and and David, you probably know it's it's very different. Uh, like some something that we learned throughout uh, 2015 is that bus travel is ultimately extremely local um and so people um rely on 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 bus companies that serve like certain regions of the country to to do those routes and and if one company like serves like the north part of the like of the country it doesn't necessarily serve the Southern part of of Mexico, for example. Um, And so what what we're seeing um, kind of with the business model that we currently have of both B2C and B2B is that on the B2C side, we are attracting more of a leisure type of consumer, which is less frequent, um, which comes to Reservamos and spends more time it relies a lot on on the reviews, on the additional information of like the transparency that you can give that traveler. But then on on the white labels and on the B2B side, the customer is, behaves very differently. It's a customer that just wants speed in in the transaction, and something that is very efficient, something that uh, is very intuitive, and because because it's very likely that that person that goes to, to our white label sites um does the same route over and over and over again um, and so to your point in terms of of recurrence yes it is a fact i think that because of the of of what the bus industry like serves for the country which it connects like the whole infrastructure of like it connects all the cities connects all of the of towns um it serves more of a role of like a public type of transportation rather than, than, than kind of a, how, how would you say, like, like a, rather than just like a transportation where, where people are like picking different options. I think people just um, um, like they, they, they get one option and they will use that option like multiple times, whether for commercial or for leisure purposes.
2: And tell me, Sebastian, it's uh, it's Kevin here again, I mean, you went through a lot of um, problems or maybe problems isn't the right word, but you know, you you learned a lot along the way. As the years have gone on and you've had uh, presumably competitors come along, do you think they learned a lot from you and um, decided to do things in a different way or have other brands faced similar issues in the same way that you did?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think for sure, like back in in when we were starting our business in in two thousand thirteen two thousand fourteen, many people were looking at the at the bus space because amongst all of the uh, travel kind of categories, bus was one of those big ones that had not gone online. And so um, you had like many of those of our competitors started at the same time. Uh, you had like Busbud in Canada. You had one through in, in the U.S. And, and many more also in Latin America. And um, I think we have all gone through a process of, of understanding the needs of the industry better. And uh, like some of our competitors have, have, have stuck to, to a B2C play. Um, and uh, I think there's another set of competitors which have also um, started to provide both B2C and B2B technology and uh, right now um, we are confident of our strategy because uh, because as I said I think it it is really aligned to the interests of our customers where they um, are looking to via technology like to to be able to provide a better services to their current customer base but not only that they also see that because of the bus customer coming online it also opens a huge possibility of providing additional services, uh, whether it could be like travel services such as hotels or financing opportunities. And that's really where the bus customer is so different to the airline customer. Um, yeah. So we run, for example, tons of surveys uh, with, with, our, with our customers like, um, on a regular basis. And um, to give you a sense, one of the... Most uh, uh, like one of the products that they seek uh, that we add as as a part of our product product offering in in our B two C side is consumer financing. It's kind of like a payday loans, um, okay. and which is which is very unique uh, because of the customer type that we attract. Um, and this is this does not happen in in the airline side where it's more like kind of the traditional hotel activities restaurants or whatever it is
2: so can you just talk us through a little bit about that i mean how did you come up with that idea and that's it sounds you know it's very different to the core part of the business i mean it's almost some might say it's quite a risky endeavor
1: yeah and 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 it's and, and 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 no just to put it clear it's not something that we have engaged in no um we have provided some type of financing as as through payments of the bus tickets via installments, but we are not providing any payday loans. It's just right. like it's one of those requests that come from our consumer. <laughs> and and I, I make this point just to differentiate how different of a consumer is the bus customer from the airline customer. It's more of a frugal type of traveler, um, which which travels more because of necessity rather than all that leisure component that the airline industry also has as
2: well. Okay, so keeping on the um, uh, you know, the theme of money i mean talk to us um sebastian about how i mean you said you you, you worked with Thayer uh, Thayer ventures they invested in you i mean is it the type of business that has needed a lot of capital at all i mean you haven 't raised a lot of money, so talk us through about how you've thought about uh, raising capital and where how you were going to use it and whether that 's something that you know, we talked to a lot of brands, and they've raised lots of money and continue to raise lots of money. Talk us through your economy, your investment strategy, if you can.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, we we did uh we, as I said earlier, we did take uh, money from institutional investors. This was led by Thayer, and 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 uh, I think we decided Thayer because of their whole expertise in 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 the in the industry, um, and they have really been a, a very strong partner. And aside from Thayer, we also have. Um, a few funds from mexico which also have been extremely helpful um our our, our whole idea of, of raising capital was kind of raise the right amount of capital to be able to scale the business and accelerate um the two different business units that we have um but the reality is that doing business in in latin america is 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 quite different than you doing it in in the u.s and in, and in Europe and, and one of those factors I think there's more of a need to create a, a profitable long-term sustainable business um, from, from the early days and the reason for that is in Latin America you have um, you have like a, a a less mature market in terms of acquisitions in terms of exits in terms of ipos for 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 like the companies for our type of companies and so and so many times like the the like that kind of forces kind of the entrepreneur of the companies to to really like seek profitability um, and so we have uh, completed a, uh, we have raised uh, a bit over like like $7 million. And uh, right now uh, we're profitable. So we continue to invest in our business, uh, but in a very like sustainable way, supporting both the B2C and the B2B uh, strategies. And right now uh, we have been in the market, like speaking to investors, but uh, more um, defining kind of that strategy of, areas of pockets of opportunity where we could accelerate growth. And we're not opposed to raising a new additional round of capital. Um, But I think right now we have the option to decide uh, with whom and when it would be the best time and at what kind of price, of course.
2: Uh, uh, Kind of last one for me, really. I mean, Sebastian, I'm curious because it has been an interesting but a fairly... um, I dare I say torturous journey it's been you know there's been a lot of changes and and surprises perhaps along the way what would you say briefly is perhaps something that you would do very differently now that you've got you know six seven years behind you to reflect on
1: you know it's, it's um and it's a really good question I think um I think the part of of the market research is is something that um I like we would have done more deeper uh, gotten more deeper into and, and really understand the structure of the of the industry um something that i like we now realize that it's key like for a b two c play is that the supply side of 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 the marketplace is uh is is not as concentrated as what we have seen in in, in the bus space uh, but we, even so like you can create a a business where it depends kind of on that type of product like for the customer acquisition side, and then you're also cross-selling uh, multiple opportunities which is what we see right now um but but you know i think um throughout this this journey uh we've learned a lot and and we are um, extremely bullish on the market and, and in latin america in general. Um, if, if if you look at uh, what is happening in Latin America right now, like even though it's it's challenging to do businesses, you can create a lot of uh, competitive uh, barriers because of those relationships that you build uh, throughout uh, throughout kind of throughout the journey. And um, and and right now, um, I think Latin America is kind of going through. Uh, through, through a lot of change uh, you have uh, you have uh, like from a long from from like it, it's a region that historically has had a lot of instability but from a long-term point of view you have like a, a thriving economy and society middle class is going like from 31 percent to a population in 2010 to 47 percent in 2025 um and and uh, it's almost like 640 million people um that are that are moving that are already kind of moving into into the online space um in in the case of mexico like 60 percent of the population is banked and really i think the winds of like the macroeconomic trends are behind the sales of what we are building uh, to be able to capture a lot of value in in the digitalization of, of this middle class customer which really travels by bus um, yeah. and so we are we're very like bullish on on on, on the ready,
0: thank you very cool i had, a, I had one that might be uh slightly off topic i guess but i'm gonna ask anyways um there's been an interesting surge of super apps in latin america and asia um you know wechat in asia was the first one several years ago but um i, I keep on seeing every rideshare app is trying to be a super app and um mm-hmm. what's interesting is that you just talked about latem being you know by uh, moving from being a little bit more developing economy to having more a lot more middle class over you know the last ten years and the next five, um, it's interesting that this trend of kind of uh, one or two or three sites and apps doing everything is has happened in these kind of developing economies. When when there's uh, when it seems like certain brands are able to kind of bring everyone line and capture a lot of value. And, and I'm curious, you know, if you, if you have you any thoughts on that? Um, we're, we're actually, Mosey was having a conference in, well, in, a, in about six days from now, but I think uh, this will have aired after the conference already happens, but um, and w- that's actually one of the, the topics is you know trends abroad and it talks about super apps and how uh, various brands are adapting that and how, how do you treat, do you think about that at all when you are building a brand in an economy like that? It's growing in a very different way than someone like Wanderoo or Busbud, which are b- based in uh, Boston and Montreal.
1: Correct, and and I think the the trend of the of the super app is is something that we're monitoring very closely. I think there is a multiple multiple cases in, in Asia um, that that people are kind of uh, tracing, and uh, in in uh, in Latin America you have already players like FAPI uh, that are following this whole strategy. Um, but I but I think um, ultimately the like for, for the user, it's very easy to, to switch from one app or let's say from one site eh, on their cell phone to another. And uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm less bullish on the concept of the super app. I think the, the consumer will always look for the company that provides like, the most convenient and many times the best price for the service that they're looking, um, and so you know, it's something that that uh, that time will tell. Uh, but but I think we're we're we are we are we are kind of monitoring the space. And, and like the the main benefit that a super app will have is kind of the recurrence that that all of us in the travel space don't have. Um, but but yeah, I think it's too early to. To kind of say who, like how how that whole market will will end up. What
0: yeah, very cool. Well, I think that's that's all from us, Uh, Sebastian. Thank you very much for for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, David, and and thank you, Kevin. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. Yeah, just to wrap up, this has been How I Got Here, uh Mozio and Focus wire's weekly podcast about innovators in travel and transportation. And uh thanks again, Sebastian. That's Thank you. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check loziocom slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages and get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.